orchestra for pitching in this whole weekend, and thank you very much. I'd like to read uh, just seven verses, the beginning of Luke chapter 2. David read some of the latter part of this chapter a few minutes ago. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a, that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So, Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. It was Christmas Eve, 1968. It had been an awful year. So writes the Boston Globe's Jeff Jacoby. Race riots in the city streets, the assassinations of Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy, the Tet Offensive in Vietnam. Now the Soviet Union had taken the lead in the space race with an unmanned space probe that orbited the moon and returned safely to the Earth. An estimated one billion people, roughly one-fourth of the world's population, watched and listened anxiously as Apollo 8, carrying U.S. astronauts Frank Borman, Jim Lovell, and William Anders, prepared to come out of 45 minutes of radio silence. Do you remember, for those of you who are old enough, the anticipation when nobody could communicate with them from NASA, and you wondered, were they alive, and what would happen next? As these three Americans came out of their ninth orbit of the moon, word went out to them from NASA that it was time to, quote, say something appropriate. As Jacoby wrote on December 21st, this was an unrehearsed moment. In other words, nobody at NASA had told them they had to do this, and nobody had written out a script. And so they were wondering what would come out of the astronauts' mouths. These three men had been the first to leave the Earth's gravitational field, the first to see the dark side of the moon, the first to see the Earth rise in the sun from outer space. And no one knew what they were going to say. Then, contact was restored, and Apollo 8 emerged from the darkness. And William Anders spoke first. He said, for all the people back on Earth, the crew of Apollo 8 has a message we would like to send to you. And then the three men took turns reading back and forth from the book of Genesis. Some of the words that they read there that night were these. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that it was good. Now that Christmas, human beings were invading the moon's space. But on the very first Christmas Eve, something completely different was going on and taking place. Most of the world had no idea what was coming, but God's plan was to invade human lives 
through what I would call a heart revolution. Our theme for tonight is when Christmas invades, you might have been wondering what that's all about, and we're going to explore that topic. But under the leadership of the way that God works, Christmas has this amazing way of invading people's lives, invading their minds, invading hearts of people who never in a million years thought that some kind of spiritual change would happen to them on this particular day. I don't know if you've noticed this, but Christmas always comes at the very same time every year, whether you're ready for it or I'm ready for it or not. So, so here's the simple idea that I want to explore with you tonight. When Christmas invades, God brings peace into the chaos. Let's talk about that concept of when Christmas invades. The first thing we learn from this gospel passage is that Christmas often invades when you're not ready. So Luke writes in verse 5 about Joseph. He says, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. All things he hadn't really planned for. You probably know much of the Christmas narrative. The angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and announced God's favor and God's plan. And amazingly, she responded with these wide open words. May it be to me as you have said. An alternate translation says, may your word to me be fulfilled. And then it happened. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly how. But Mary was soon with child. And the complications came. Joseph had barely put off his decision to divorce Mary only because an angel appeared to him in a dream. And now here they were, traveling 70 miles away to Bethlehem to register for a new round of taxation by the Roman government with no place to stay and Mary just about to deliver. Perhaps you feel that way this season. You didn't have time. Your complicated life crowded out all the things you planned to do to get ready for tonight and for tomorrow. And now Christmas is here. I read about a local guy who was feeling that way earlier this week. We'll just call him Bill from Foxborough. He made this comment to the press. <laughs> Christmas comes at an inconvenient time, right in the middle of the season every year. got the same face whether he's grumpy or happy or whatever he always looks like that here's the second thing we learn though Christmas often invades in times of turbulence go back a verse Luke says so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David he went there to register with Mary Joseph didn't head toward Bethlehem out of some desire to fill an ancient prophecy. And he didn't have in mind living up to the pictures that we see on the Christmas cards that we send around today. None of those things were in his consciousness. He went there because of political turbulence. 
The Roman army occupied much of Judea and Israel as a whole. And with Roman occupation came extra taxation to pay for oversight that the Israelites never wanted in the first place. And then Caesar Augustus, all the way from Rome, the emperor wanted to add this resented census so that he could know who was there and then tax people even more. And you thought the political people in our day invented systems like this. It's as old as the story of Christmas. And one more thing. No exemptions were offered for pregnant women in the ninth month. Perhaps there are some here who are hoping for an exemption from Christmas this year. But you find that Christmas comes. It arrives on its own, and Christmas just sort of invades anyway. Christmas has this way of invading whether you're sick, tired, unemployed, facing loss in your family, or battling cancer. James Dobson relates a story of an elderly woman named Stella Thornhope who was struggling with her first Christmas alone. Stella's husband had died just a few months earlier from a slow-developing cancer. Now, several days before Christmas, she was almost snowed in by a brutal weather system. She felt terribly alone, so much so that she decided she was not going to decorate for Christmas this year. Late in the afternoon, the doorbell rang, and there was a delivery boy with a box. He said, Mrs. Thornhope, she nodded. He said, would you sign here? And while she was signing the receipt, the young man laughed, and he opened the box. Out came this little puppy, a golden Labrador retriever. And the delivery boy told her that the puppy was already housebroken, and it was for her. Stella was completely confused, wondering, who on earth would send her a puppy? Turns out it was a gift from her husband. Three weeks before he died, he had ordered the puppy and written a note. His letter was full of encouragement and ad admonishments for her to go on living and to be strong. He vowed that he would be waiting for her when she would finally join him. And he had sent this puppy to keep her company until then. She wiped her tears away and then picked up that little golden furry ball. And just then, she heard sounds from the radio that was playing in her kitchen. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. She looked down at this little dog and felt this sense of peace overwhelming her. Little fella, she said to the dog, it's just you and me. But you know what? There's a box down in the basement that I think you would enjoy. And she went down and got it and set up her Christmas tree. And Stella chose right then and there to get on with her life and live it to the full. What had just happened? Christmas had invaded again. Light overcame the darkness in her life. Joy overcame grief. 
God has this amazing way of sending a signal of light to remind us that life is stronger than death. And he does it again and again and again. You see, when Christmas invades, God brings his peace into your chaos, into my chaos. Now, I've got to ask a question. Why is Christmas sometimes seen as an invasion? Why connect those two words, Christmas and invasion? Jump ahead a few verses in Luke's text here. Verse 10, he says, he writes, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, Christ the Lord. I don't know if you've noticed this, but people naturally fear God and his messengers. Look at the first words that Luke tells us that the angel says to the shepherds in the field that night. Do not be afraid. You know why they're there? We're terrified when we see these glowing beings in brilliant white and they have power and authority all around them. Get afraid. And one of the main reasons that we get afraid is that we have a view where we think of this earth and everything in it as our world belonging to us. Even though the Bible tells us that God created this world and it's his, and he put people in it and said, make the most of the opportunity I'm giving you. And when Jesus came, Jesus told stories, sometimes called parables, one of them was telling the story of the vineyard owner who creates this beautiful vineyard and then brings people in as tenants to run the vineyard and says, I will come back and I'll ask you what you did with the investment that I entrusted you with. And the picture is of people who are the tenants. We're not the owners, we're the tenants. But we so often flip the story because we have the wrong perspective. And generations of people before our time have sought to push God out of our world and our view of things. And along with that, our sin and shame have a tendency to put distance between us and God in a spiritual way. We need to be reminded that the earth and everything in it was created by God and that all belongs to him. Christmas is also an invasion because even if we don't realize it, we need outside help. We can't save ourselves. We can't perfect ourselves. We can't even perfect Christmas like the woman in the drama sketch who was trying to create the perfect Christmas. We have all this knowledge, all these discoveries, all this intelligence, all these gifts, and you know what we can't do? We are unable to bring peace on this earth. can read all through human history and there has never been a time when there is absolute peace that covers the entire planet and we think we're so smart that we can do anything often I find the most important people among them are those friends of Bill W who admit that they are powerless to change themselves so they appeal for God's help 
to get sober. Knowing this tendency that we have to push God out, God announced his plan, whether people were ready for it or not. And God's plan is unlike any plan that we would ever come up with on our own. It starts with a child in a manger. Of course, we know that child wasn't just any child. That child was a person who changes the hearts of people. And as he changes human hearts, along with that, he also changes hopes, destinies, and lives entire. But this heart revolution takes place one person at a time in the midst of a world where human beings seek to take control, to dominate others, to oppress, or to shut down the message of this life-changing child. So God's plan takes place in the midst of the world's continuing chaos. When Christmas invades, there are a number of things that happen. When Christmas invades, God's heart revolution plan has this uncanny way of penetrating in new ways. A story of grace, a story of healing, or of a heartbreak somehow gets through to the person who is the least likely to all of a sudden be sensitized to what God was up to. Or you realize that your pursuit of the perfect Christmas isn't really in line with what Christmas is about anyway. Or you realize that God's purpose for sending Jesus into this world is something you haven't really fully considered. And so you come to the realization that maybe there's more than you have explored. And this curiosity factor all of a sudden fills your mind and you have to know more. And then the point comes when we realize we must make a choice. Are we on the side of the chaos that pushes God away? Or are we on the side of the Son of God who has come in the manger to bring peace in the midst of the chaos? Christmas invades when you know that deep down you've been pushing God away. Like the woman in the drama sketch who is obsessed with the perfect Christmas to the point that she suddenly realizes maybe she's missing what Christmas is really about. You need to make a choice. Choose the chaos or choose the Christmas invasion. When you make that choice, you end up putting your trust in God's Christmas invasion plan Oh, and his Christmas invasion plan has a name. It's very easy to remember. It all gets boiled down to one word, Jesus. Only then can you begin to experience God's peace on earth, even in the midst of the storm, even in the midst of the chaos, the kind of peace that Christy was talking about a few minutes ago. Please understand that God never promises to take away all of your challenges. He never promises to take away all of your problems. But walking with Jesus daily exposes us 
to this profound inner peace that can only come from God. We're not just born with it. We don't just find it somehow by accident along the way. It's imparted by God because it's at the core of who he is. And when you embrace it, your sense of destiny and mission will change radically. And you become an ambassador of the very peace that has invaded your life and your soul. When Christmas invades, God brings his peace into your chaos. And all, the, all that leads up to this question that I want to leave you with tonight. Will you, will you allow his peace to override your chaos? That's it. Will you allow his peace to override your chaos? And when you say yes to that, you're at the beginning of a whole new ride and a whole new outlook on life. I'm going to pray in a minute, and then we're going to... Um, we're going to light candles. I want to give you a heads up on what we're going to do with that. We're going to create a new tradition here that we've done in the previous two services. And I'm going to light the first candle. And I'm going to invite to come up to the front if during the past year you've made a commitment to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or you got baptized in the last year, or there's been some kind of spiritual breakthrough where you know that you took a step forward. What I'd like to do is create this imagery year after year where new light is penetrating the darkness of our world. So if you're willing, and then there will be ushers who will light the candles up and down the aisles for the rest of us, and we're going to sing Silent Night together in candlelight. God, thank you for all these friends who've chosen to start their Christmas celebration here together tonight. Thank you for not only watching over this time, but for speaking your truth through all the elements that people have prepared and presented tonight. Stories told, gospel lifted up. And my simple prayer for everyone here is this. Please, God, invade our lives tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen.